I have seen in my line of work with executive coaching, so many people being held back, not because they don't have the skills, knowledge, or abilities, not because they're in bad situations, but because they have this negativity living in their head. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. We're in good company. Let's do this. I love it. I'm Erica Rooney. I am the CEO and founder of From Now to Next, an HR coaching and consulting agency. I am also a chief people officer, keynote speaker, and host of the podcast From Now to Next. And I am here today to talk to you about glass ceilings and sticky floors. All what's right, let's do, let's do it. Erica, I'm excited. Yeah, what's a sticky floor, you ask? That's everybody's first question. So let's dive in. Sticky floors are those limiting beliefs, the toxic beliefs that live in between your ears that show up in the forms of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, the fear of failure, fear of doubt, fear of what other people will think of you. But it's also the things that are within your realm of control, such as toxic behaviors and toxic relationships, right? Those wine Wednesdays that turn into every days that keep you sluggish on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings, Okay. Maybe you're in a relationship with a spouse or even a friend, sister, colleague that holds you back and cuts you back down on your dreams and keeps you from busting through the glass ceilings of your life. These are all the things that we have control over and that we need to clean up so that we can bust through and accelerate our growth. All right. That's awesome. So how'd you get onto this topic? This seems to be something you're super, super passionate about. I am super passionate about it. And I am an individual that has... <laughs> a growth mindset. And sometimes I call it like the problem of growth mindset because I never slow down enough to like, I don't know, celebrate my wins. It's something I'm working on. But I have seen in my line of work with executive coaching, so many people being held back, not because they don't have the skills, knowledge, or abilities, not because they're in bad situations, but because they have this negativity living in their head. They're questioning who they are. They're questioning their value. They're questioning their worth. And they're selling themselves short. They are so often cutting off all of the opportunities because they are talking themselves out of it, right? Or they're sabotaging by way of, you know, a poor behavior, procrastination, right? Like I said, the wine is a big one for so many people after COVID, you know, sticking around with people who are just so negative that it does not give them the opportunity to blossom. Now you throw out the wine there. Is that because, hey, all these people got started drinking wine and now they're all now they they're just keep drinking it? Yeah. I mean, I think it does happen. Right. But like and don't get me wrong, like wine is a great thing for so many people. But for other people, it is such a way to numb the negative thoughts that they have in their head. Right. And instead of digging in deep and doing the work on that new on those negative thoughts, they numb out with booze. No, I, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, there's um, so I don't I very rarely drink and um, I am just shocked at um, the number of people that, that if you don't drink. I mean, it's it's real. It's the only drug that people like peer pressure you into taking. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because I was actually talking about this with somebody else and they I gave them a book on it. It's called This Naked Mind. And it's all about questioning and just reevaluating your relationship with alcohol. And I gave it to them. And in the book, they call it a drug. And the person that I gave it to was like, I never looked at alcohol as a drug. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, 
It floored me, but it is the one drug, the one substance in America that you have to have a solid reason for not to not, to not do it. Not that to people, not- I, I use the word peer pressure, but that's not what I meant. I meant like, hey, if you're not doing it, people are, you know. Oh, people side eye you. People and I'll be the first you. to tell you, I did that for a lot of years. You're not going to, what's wrong with you, right? Or people have that common saying of like, I don't trust people that don't drink. Why? Because they're making all the good decisions, right? Like (laughs) what's going on here? But the truth of the matter is a lot of people rely on drugs and alcohol and other substances to numb out the uncomfortable feelings because they don't have to deal with them. And that is the primary job of drugs and alcohol is to numb out. And did you have an experience? Was there an experience that got you like, is there a specific event that got you into, um, really thinking about, you know, kind of the, the, this idea of, you know, grow, having a growth mindset and um, growing. Is there anything specific or you feel like that's kind of innate? Like you were just kind of born, you're, you're born with this positive. We won't call I it mean, positive. I'm a positive person by nature, right? So I think that is there, but I think that I have always wanted to do more. I think it was ingrained in me as a child to continue to grow. And I almost made it a piece of an expectation that I had for myself. Right. So I think it started in childhood, if we're going to get real deep and real honest. And I think it's carried me through adulthood. Right. Like I do think there can be, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, I told you before that I don't stop to celebrate my wins. I am always climbing the corporate ladder. Like I landed my C-level job and I'm like, what's next? What am I going to do next? And sometimes you should stop and smell the roses, but sometimes it leads to amazing things. I mean, for me, it led to working with women and helping them grow. And it's kind of helping me slow down my inner hamster wheel a little bit, which is a sticky floor. But I believe there is so much out there to learn. And I love to be curious about different things, different people, different ways of working. And how can we make our mind work for us to really just be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Now, when you think about um, as you as you work with, let's talk about as you work at the C level, what do you think the primary, I mean, is there, and this is maybe a blanket question. Do you feel like there's a, a primary challenge that people have or a story that you constantly hear C-level executives tell themselves that hold Oh, I mean, yeah, we could go down all day long. (laughs) One of them, and it differs. It actually, I believe that it differs between men and women sometimes what I see. And a lot of the women that I see have, have a hard time knowing their worth and valuing their worth and monetizing their time. And I say that with this example of like, I have 15 years of experience in HR. You can give me your resume and I could read it and redo it and make it the best resume in 15 minutes flat. It's no sweat for me, right? But that's because I have 15 years of experience doing this. Women would be like, oh, I'll just help you out. No problem. Like, it's fine. I'll make it nice. Men will be like, hey, that's 350 bucks. You know, and it's like, we've got to learn to charge our value, right? right, 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 right. Step up there. And for men, like men have this, the biggest thing that men are vulnerable with is they don't want to be seen as weak, right? And that comes across in leadership times as being bullying or being too aggressive. And, you know, they have this, you know, 
everybody wants a strong man. That's not necessarily the most beneficial. And they don't know how to respond to that. And they don't know how to find kind of that equal balance. So I think those are two of the biggest challenges that I see um, when I work with executives. And then what, um, you know, as you think about the, you know, kind of the, the glass ceiling and sticky floor, where do you start with somebody? Like, where do you start trying to get them to think about what their, what that sticky floor or what that glass ceiling is? Because it's not necessary. I think when um, we initially started talking, I was just thinking like glass ceilings, kind of this concept of women in the workplace, but mm -hmm. you've really applied it to just the everyone. end of the, the end of everyone. Everybody's got a glass floor and everybody's got a sticky ceiling or sticky floor or glass ceiling. <laughs> everybody's got the sticky floors and the glass ceiling. The glass ceiling. <laughs> I tell everybody it is the glass ceiling of your life. It is, you know, if you're in the corporate world, it might be that corporate glass ceiling, right? But maybe you want to teach yoga out of a van in Hawaii. Like, cool. There are things that hold people back from going after that dream, right? They're worried about what people will think of them. I live in a beautiful house with 2.5 kids. They're going to think I'm a terrible parent if I go out and teach yoga out of the back of my van, right? All the time, people live unhealthy lives and unhappy lives to meet the expectations of others. So everybody has those sticky floors and everybody has their own glass ceiling that they need to bust through. Now, when you, you've mentioned the yoga in the van twice. So <laughs> you mentioned that in the, um, in the essence that like, Hey, I have a dream that that's truly what would make me happy, but I'm yeah. doing this other thing. But I'm, yeah, maybe I'm doing the corporate grind or whatever it is, you know, because think about it. When, a lot of people have this vision of success. It is you go to school, you get good grades, you get into a college, you get a good job, you get married, you have 2.5 kids in a house, bing, bang, boom, right? We all know that's not everybody's true happiness and that doesn't make people happy. And you have to figure out what it is that makes you happy. And for some people it is living out of a van doing yoga. For other people it's opening a coffee shop. For some people, it's being an entrepreneur, right? But so often we don't allow ourselves the space to explore that because we believe we have these expectations that we have to check off and climb. And then we just end up in this like abyss of no happiness. Where you went, where you wake up one day and you're unhappy. Now, does happiness have a, do you, do you find, I mean, hey, you're, you think you know what makes you happy and you chase it you don't, and you don't catch it? Oh, absolutely. Right. And everybody also thinks that the money is the answer or the title or the power or the scope. Right. So we go after these things. And then what happens when you get there? And like, take myself, for example, I am very much a corporate hamster. And what I mean by it is like, I did all those things. Right. Like I went to the University of Florida. I got my master's check. I got a good job check. I got married. I had kids. I have a dog in a nice house and I made it all the way to the C-suite. And then what? Like I literally had this epiphany moment where I was looking around going, and then what? Like, what am I supposed to do now? Be in this level for the rest of my life? And I really had to do a lot of soul searching and figure out like, is this what makes me truly happy? And the answer was like, no, doing nothing but see sweet people's chief stuff gets real tiring after a long time, right? For anyone who's listening that might have been an HR or knows an HR professional, like go out and give them a hug because they're dealing with everybody else's BS all day long. It is exhausting. And that's when I dove into this mindset work that I do in executive coaching and consulting because it brought me back to what my true 
what I believe my true purpose and my reason for being is, which is helping people. So what you don't know about me is pre-HR, I was a personal trainer and I worked for Verizon as a health and wellness instructor for eight years. And I loved it because I was helping people meet their health and wellness goals. And what's that job look like? Oh my gosh. I got to wear sweatpants to work, go to a gym inside a large corporate office, teach yoga, boot camp, spin class, talk about nutrition all day long, work one-on-one with people just in how do they make better decisions for their health and wellness. So I was seeing tangible success and working one-on-one with individuals and getting them to where they wanted to be. This is where we go back to my problem with the growth mindset is that in that career, I could only go so far. And I hit that ceiling, a real ceiling where they were like, there is no more growth in this, in this career path, Erica. When I was 25, maybe, maybe 26. So what am I going to sit there for the rest of my life doing that? And that's when I transitioned into HR, which worked out really well for me because I loved helping people with their career aspirations, building their career paths, growing. And like I said, I grew all the way to the C-suite. Problem is when the higher you go up the ladder, the farther you are away from the people. And I wasn't helping people anymore. I was focused on EBITDA and revenue and profit margins and strategy. And I was being pulled further and further away from that core reason of being. And that's what drove me back into executive coaching and doing one-on-ones. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question because I, um, as a, uh, cause I see this in parents and myself with, with kid with kids in sports. So what's the, what is the balance between growing? So like, I'm going to use an athlete. So you got to, you have a student um, and that student's a good athlete and you want them, but they're probably not going to be a professional, you know, due to genetics, um, you know, family tree. I mean, I think I read that like 80% of college athletes or 80% of professional athletes have a first degree um, family member. Like, yeah, I mean, genetics is a real thing. Professional athlete. So like, if you don't have a professional athlete, that's a cousin, an uncle, not you know, somebody that's it. in the first, you know, first part of the tree, you're probably the, the stats. No, you couldn't do it. They just go down really. They go down astronomical. So, the question is, you want your kid to you want your kid to grow. I just I'm, this is kind of just observation. You want your kid to grow, but simultaneously, like, where's the line between pushing somebody kind of outside of what their skill skills and contentment is? Like, what what would you know? Kind of where they sorry about that. Where um, where they would be? Um, you're not pushing them too far. I guess if I was going to simplify the question, is like, what's the balance between growing? And like being in your sweet spot, because you can outgrow. I mean, you can get yourself in a situation, I think, where um, you've kind of outgrown the ability to be content. Yeah, I believe that's what happened to you, right? You're really content doing the, the, the thing, but you're stuck. You're like, hey, I can't go any farther here. So I got to get into this other pool. Yeah. And um, well, I think it's I think it's really to each his own. Right. Because. I know people from my previous career that are still there and they love it because they can find growth and and meaning in a different way. That didn't resonate with me or my story, right? So if you want to go to the athlete portion of it, my son plays baseball and his coach, his baseball coach, he's eight also, let's preface with that he's eight. <laughs> he wants to be a pro baseball player and uh, the boy 
fights gravity every single day. He's clumsy as all get out. So I just don't think it's going to pan out for him. <laughs> we also don't have a first relative athlete. We don't have a first relative, yeah. But his coach is did really well in baseball, right? Like he played through college. He was played for Clemson. But there was nothing after Clemson. So he still finds the sweet spot in contentment in coaching eight-year-old baseball players. Baseball players. Right? Yeah, so he is yeah, growing. I think you bring up a good point. Is like world. it's finding the it's. Hey, I had people that stayed at Verizon that found contentment and growth and and things that seemed unconventional. Yeah. If I was going to rephrase what I think you said. Absolutely. Well, like, look at me for example. I am still a chief people officer by day. You know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, and realistically, a lot of other hours after that. My passion in coaching is what fuels me to also stay as a chief people officer. Does that make sense? Yep. No, it makes so it makes it makes total sense. Um, so you know, my my I kind of my next question for you is like when you think about um and I sort of highlighted this a little bit ago, but like how do you kind of get people talking about how do you find out what the what the sticky floor or the sticky ceiling is? Like what's the oh process? Like walk me through that's this. the hardest piece. That is the hardest part of it, right? And it's kind of one of those like, well, Eric, if I knew what it was, it wouldn't be a problem, right? Right. <laughs> but sometimes the things that are right in front of us are the hardest to see, right? When you have to read a book, you have to pull it out. So I talk with a lot of people when they are unsure of what that sticky floor is and what's holding them back. Sometimes we walk through their day with like painstakingly detail, like talk me through your day. What happened? How did you feel? But one of the biggest things that I have people do is try to have this body awareness because whenever we are in a sticky floor situation, our body feels it before our mind knows how to react. And so. So repeat that for me one more time. You said your. Your body feels it before your mind, mind knows how to react. Knows how to react. So for example, if you are in a high stress situation where someone makes you angry, you will often feel like your fist tense and your gut kind of tense up in your shoulders. Just you feel it first. So you have to be very in tune to your body, right? For people who experience something like perfectionism, this is a great one, right? And to also keep it on the, the sphere of working out, I never thought I was a perfectionist. I've got a messy house. I don't care if the laundry is folded. It's fine, right? But because I grew up in this fitness industry, I have developed a mentality that if my workout isn't 30 minutes of cardio followed by 30 minutes of like high intensity strength training, and yes, let's throw in a whole hour of yoga at one point during the week, like it's not a good workout. So just don't even worry about it. And I would be that person that I would look at the clock and I'd be like, do I have 30 minutes to get my cardio in? Oh, nope. I only have 20 minutes. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's not good enough. Right. And then my husband would come up to our home gym. He'd be like, I only have 15 minutes. I got to bust it out. And he would like do sprints or something. And I would look at him and I'd be like, <laughs> you are an idiot. Like that doesn't do right. anything, right. you know, but uh, come on guys. Our brain knows that 15 minutes of movement is better than nothing at all. Nothing, right. So that sticky floor, right? Like I remember what I would feel in my body would be this annoyance, right? of watching him do it and me not, you know? And so you have to start to notice kind of those emotional triggers and the physical triggers too, and pay attention to what that is. And then start to move into this, like if you can actually name it and be like, okay, you're looking at it that way, Erica, 
is that 15 minutes better than nothing? Or like, is your mentality really wackadoodle right now? Then question your beliefs, right? And start to ask yourself, like, does this make sense? Is this true? Is this helpful? In this instance of perfectionism, no, it's not. And then shift my mindset into get your butt on the treadmill and do 15 minutes. Get outside and do a walk. Don't throw your whole day away just because you don't have 30 minutes. And so it's something that I constantly have to work on because for years I lived with that belief. Now, how'd you, did you identify that was a, a belief because you were watching your husband? <laughs> no. So I actually identified it. And this is another great way is by talking to other people. So I was talking to another mom about perfectionism and she was talking about being the perfect mom and making the lunches and, you know, having the perfect workout and making sure she got in 30 minutes and that triggered something. And I was like, oh, what? You know, and it was cool. kind of this self-realization in the moment. And I was like, holy crap, that's me. You know, and it, it, it was a mirror, right? So when you right. talk with other people, they can be a reflection of you. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I think that's, that's really good. I just remember you were, you triggered something for me. I remember being, <laughs> See? When I was, um, hopefully she doesn't listen to this, uh, this podcast. Um, but I was engaged prior to getting married and I remember talking to a former employee and she was talking about her relationship, which I knew the guy. And as she talked about her relationship, I was like, oh crap, I got you know, listening to her talk, I was like, Ooh, I got stuff over here that needs to be, uh, needs to be dealt with. Yeah. So, now we're talking to, talking to other people. <laughs> now we're all married and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, these sticky floors, they can be hard to identify. That's why they're sticky. You might not even realize that they're going on. They're sticky. Yeah. Shouldn't it be easy to, or you're stuck to them. That's why you can't, that's why you can't. Right. We're all, everybody, this is another question I get. Do we ever get free from our sticky floors? And the answer is no, sorry. It's not that easy, right? Like it is not that easy because those sticky floors are typically ingrained in us over such a long period of time, right? Since birth, honestly, sometimes, right? Since watching our parents and how they interact and our caregivers and our teachers and our learned experiences, you know, if you grew up in a household where new and innovative ideas were often like celebrated and expressed and you had this try everything kind of parents that said, just go after it, you're always going to be going out there and trying, right? But if you grew up in a household where it was very much the mentality of like, do what you know, stick to the path. This is the way. Like you're going to be terrified to try new things. And it's just ingrained in us. So you have to constantly be working through those things. I had a really interesting realization. One time I was interviewing a woman for my podcast and I asked her, you know, because she said, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I said, how? Like riddle me this because I don't understand and she said, I grew up in a household. My father had his own business and he always instilled in me that I should never work for somebody else. I should always be the one who controls where my money comes from. And I thought that is so interesting because I grew up in a house where my father owned his own business and he came home every single day miserable. And he always instilled that like, this is the worst thing. I would never wish it on anybody. It's so stressful. And so I grew up like, 
holy hell, I am going to corporate America. Sign me up. You know, <laughs> but so we had these two, you know, parents both running their own businesses, but completely different experiences. So, so this is, so why we're talking about mindsets, I, I, I had this, um, so I've been going through a personal thing and there's a quote that has stuck with me for forever. Um, um, in the movie, the guardian with Kevin Costner, have you seen this movie? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner and, um, the dude that wore the trucker hats and was married to Demi Moore. Um, um Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Okay. So in the movie, there's this line that says, the only difference between you and the drowning victim is the attitude in which you enter the water. And so it actually comes from the Coast Guard Swimmers Handbook. But if you think about it, it's really interesting because think about the Channel 6 News comes through. or There's a there's a tragic event. There's a flood. It's Louisiana and it's Channel and you're watching the news and you see all these people on top of buildings. And there's a portion of those people that naturally are going to be up there. They're old. They're pregnant. They, um, you know, maybe they got stuck in a weird situation. But the mass majority of the people that are on the building, from my observation, the only difference between them and the guy in the boat is the attitude, is that somebody that's in the boat decided they were going to call somebody. They were going to pick something up. They were going to, you know, they were they had a boat. They knew a friend that had a boat. They got in the boat and the other people got on the on the roof. And so that's just always stuck with me when you see tragic events is like people can be essentially start in the same place and one person's helping and one person's getting helped. Yeah. No, I mean, I firmly believe that. Right. And a lot of it is, is the power of mindset and you can train your mind yep. to look for the good, right. Yep. And to look for the positive outcomes. Like this is what I love about neuroscience because you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, what it was all the secret, which is like super woo woo. And like, you know, if you just dream about money, money will come to you and manifest your dreams. Right. Which I love it. Like I'm all about manifesting some dollars. Okay. But science now actually shows that you can train your brain to look for positive things. Right. right. And it has dissected all of these things. There is a, a system in your brain called the reticular activating system. Okay. It's almost like a hairnet that sits over your brain. And this system, ha its main job is to filter through all of the things that you see, hear, taste, smell in the world every single day. Because, I mean, the world is overload, right? Like there's so many things. So it has to slow things down for your brain. And it lets in the thoughts that you want it to let in. And it keeps other things out. And what I mean by that is... If you've ever wanted or needed to go out and buy a new car, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to buy um, a VW Atlas because that's what I drive. It's the kid mobile. <laughs> I've never seen a VW Atlas on the road in my life. But now that I'm looking for a third row, that third row SUVs, I start to see them next to me at the grocery store. I see them on the interstate. I see them in the parking lot. I see the VW dealership. Did they just all of a sudden just show up in the world because I started thinking about it? No, my brain now deemed it important. And so it's letting those thoughts in and I am seeing more of it. So if you start to focus on the positive and focus on the opportunity and focus on the solution, you will see more solutions, right? Those people sitting on top of the roof with no way to get out of the flood, they're seeing all the reasons why it won't work out. 
I don't have a boat. Right. I don't have cell phone service that works. I it's not going to you know work out for me, right? The people who are in the boat are like, all right, I know that Timmy down the road had a boat, so if I can just make it to Timmy's house, like this is how I right. do it, and they see the opportunity. So it's all about truly training your mind to look for the opportunity because that is there, right? Like I've got a story about um, my husband got laid off and he's devastated. It was right after we had our first kid. So of course we're like, oh my God, we're never going to. Well, that's how it works, right? Exactly, right? Big life events. What are we going to do? He was the breadwinner. And because he had worked for this company for almost 15, 18 years, they gave him a big severance. And I was like, you're good. Like, you don't need to get a job now for like five months. And I was like, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out there and get a job because guess what? No other company is probably going to pay you this much this much money to go find another job. Yeah. <laughs> right? He was looking at it through this scarcity mindset of like, I only have five months. I only have this much money. And I'm like, whoa, we are rich. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> You're going to go out and get another job tomorrow. And then we're going to have right. all that savings. Right. But it's all about how you look at it and what the thoughts that you allow. And, in. You, do, and you nailed something. You do how much time you give yourself to do something. Oh, yeah. You, if you, you just, think it's going to take you five months to find a job, it's going to take you five months. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no. You do how much time you do. You, you take how much time you give yourself to do something. Um, so, well... Erica, this was, this was awesome. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered? Oh my gosh. I would just say, just be curious about your sticky floors, you know, cause we all got them and do the work to pay attention to what's in your body, uncover it and just stay focused on moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other. All right. Well, this was awesome. Thanks so much for reaching out. Thanks for coming on. This was great. 